following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, Godzilla vs. Kong, Class of 3000, The Boondocks, Soul Calibur, Jurassic Park, Hellboy, Hellboy 2, Sons of Anarchy, Sonic the Hedgehog, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Independence Day, Danny Phantom, Fairly Odd Parents, SpongeBob SquarePants, and Eternal Sunshine of the spotless mind. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie every week and then try to determine which one is cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or interdimensional kaiju that invade our planet from deep below the ocean. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every week, and this week I am talking to host of the Postmodern Art Podcast, and award-winning filmmaker, Nathan Ragland. Welcome, Nathan. Thank you, Louis. I really do appreciate the opportunity. I mean, it, listening to your podcast and stuff, it's, it's an honor to be on here, especially, you know, as part of the, the podcast network now, so. Yes, uh, uh, so f- listeners, uh, if you are fans of some of the other shows on the Apocalypse Podcast Network, you'll be happy to know that we've just added the Postmodern Art Podcast. Da-da-da. And so I've invited Nathan on to talk about one of his favorite robot movies and a movie, a robot movie that I absolutely love, but I haven't seen in a while, so I'm really glad that he brought it on to talk about it. But also, I want, Nathan, if you don't mind, I'd like you to also tell the listeners a little bit about what your podcast is and some of the things that you do uh, with postmodern art. Oh, I podcasts. would absolutely love to. It's part of the reason why I joined the podcast network. Um, <laughs> now I'm joking. Um, <laughs> my podcast is a podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. Each week I bring on a different artist. I have them sit down, talk about their passion, the stuff that they've worked on, the projects they want to make, their dream projects. Just let them gush about themselves for at least an hour, if possible. Um, I bring on amazing artists that I just cannot get enough of, and I just I just have a good conversation with them. Very cool, awesome. Uh, do you um, you you've been doing the podcast since uh, September? Is that right? That is absolutely correct. Awesome. Can you uh, just sort of give us like a sample of some of the guests that you've had on, and and maybe some of the topics that you that you dig into? Oh man, you have great questions. I'm already loving this. Um, I've had several guests that have been part of the Hasbun Hotel slash Hell of a Boss group. So like Sarah Serval Fisher, um, Jane Gumball. Uh, I've had Silva Hound on the podcast. I have actually had uh, for those that are and like old school animation fans, uh, Joe Horn, who was the director of Class of Three Thousand and some of the episodes of the Moondocks, but was also a storyboard artist for the original Sonic the Hedgehog series, uh, Teenage Mutant awesome. Ninja Turtles, like back in the day and such. So like he's had quite a history, and I was able to to get him on. But I've also had you know musicians, uh, you know people that do thumbnails for YouTubers. I've even had a wrestler on. So I have a, a wide spectrum of different kinds of artists and such. <laughs> awesome. That sounds great. And uh, what was I going to say? Um, that just sounds great. Awesome. <laughs> um, Nathan, oh, I know what I was going to say. I, I am going to, uh, listeners, I'm going to have links to all of Nathan's social media in the show notes. So if you want to check out uh, his Instagram, Twitter, Make sure you follow him there, and also make sure you subscribe to Postmodern Art Podcast. There will be a link to that in the show notes as well. Um, Nathan, 
Beautiful. Why don't you tell the listeners what movie we are going to be discussing today on Robots versus Dinosaurs? I don't think I said the title yet. I usually try to wait for the for the co-host to introduce <laughs> the title. Well, <clears throat> ladies and gentlemen, today we are going to be talking about Pacific Rim, a 2013 film directed by Guillermo del Toro, uh, a wonderful movie about basically the ultimate battle that we want to see robots versus kaiju or just giant monsters in general. Absolutely. This uh, was a del Toro movie. Um, it was written by Travis Beecham. And some of the stars include Idris Elba, Rinko Kikuchi, Charlie Day, Bern Gorman, who's one of my favorite character actors, and another one of my favorites who's a bit of a surprise. You'd, I don't think they put his name in the opening credits, uh, or maybe maybe they don't feature him on the poster because he's a bit of a surprise. Ron Perlman, <laughs> Hellboy himself, shows oh, up yeah. in this film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he he had a great role in that film, I'll tell you that much. They, they, like, Guillermo pa- casts him perfectly for that bit. <laughs> yes, Hannibal Chow is a fantastic character um he is did you did you stay tuned for the post credit scene at the end of the movie of course i did of course i did marvel movies have trained me enough to know (laughs) that i need to stay for any post credit scenes okay very good (laughs) yep that's right (laughs) um so let's uh oh so let's dig into the movie itself um one thing i just want to i want to talk about because i always like to describe the the opening shot and this is a good one to describe because it's a big exposition dump, and I think it's going to just help us have mm-hmm. a vocabulary, a vernacular for some of the things that we're getting in later on in the movie. The movie is is kind. Of, it, the movie movie comes with training wheels, is one way to put it. Um, so so right up, which is good mm-hmm. for something that is like so basically new, especially for something that Guillermo del Toro is trying to introduce to the people. Absolutely, it's it's introducing a whole world, a whole entire concept with interdimensional beings, with kaiju, with giant robots. It's its alternate future. And so there's a lot that they kind of have to, uh, to to pave the way for you as a, as a, as a watcher. Um, the very first thing that we see is just this plain text that tells us uh, uh, the definition of a kaiju, origin Japanese, giant beast, and a Jaeger, which is origin uh, German, which means hunter. And there's this narrative voiceover by, I guess, one of the actors from Sons of Anarchy. Uh, somebody, uh, I, Charles, the, Char, Charles Hunnam, Charlie Hunnam, who I didn't, I didn't mention in my stars list, um, who he is the main character in this movie, but we'll get into, we'll get into that. Uh, he was great, but yeah, we'll get that. But yeah, we'll talk about, we'll talk about the main character a little bit. Um, but, but we get this, this exposition dump from him right away. He says, when I was a kid, whenever I'd feel small or lonely, I'd look up at the stars, wondered if there was life up there. Turns out I was looking in the wrong direction. When alien life entered our world, it was from deep beneath the Pacific Ocean, a fissure between two tectonic plates, a portal between dimensions, the breach. I was 15 when the first kaiju made land in San Francisco. By the time tanks, jets, and missiles took it down, six days and 35 miles later, three cities were destroyed. Uh, Tens of thousands of lives lost. Uh, then we get sort of uh, a montage of all of these kaiju coming out of the ocean. This knife head one destroying a bridge, people running away. So we're getting we're getting a visual introduction to what this world is. Uh, then we kind of get the explanation of how we've dealt with it so far. They explain what a Jaeger is, 
Um, sort of, they sort of explain how we built them, uh, kind of, it's a lot of like hand waving, but it's like, okay, yeah, we built giant robots to fight the giant things from the ocean. And, um, but one big caveat, they need two pilots. They need double pilots. Mm -hmm. Because they tried the solo pilots and it just did not work without destroying the soldiers inside. Right. Yeah. It's like, it like causes like a mental break because it takes so much mental power to be in sync with these with these Jaegers that you need, uh, you need to split it between the left hemisphere and right hemisphere of two different people's brains and let them do what's called a drift where they, this is all insane as I'm saying it out loud, but I'm like, you know what? It all does make sense the way that they're presenting it. Uh, but they drift to their minds together until they're basically operating in the same, in the same brain, like, like an Etten or like a, tr- a two headed troll or something. Exactly. That's the, that's the beauty of Guillermo del Toro. He can make the most insane things make absolute perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I buy, I buy into this right away. What do you feel about, about this world? Like, do you think this is a good opening sequence that tells us what the stakes are? Are you, like, drawn in right away? Oh, absolutely. It's one of those, like I said before, like I was just saying, Guillermo del Toro, he does a great uh, way to introduce, like like we were doing, saying earlier, like the training wheels and such, leading the audience and kind of getting them introduced to this kind of world and like also making you instantly realize how serious people are taking it. Because I don't know if you caught on to this early on, but like from when the first kaiju attack to mm. like whenever we jump to a certain point, like you instantly see it's like, okay, it's bad. It's bad. But then people instantly commercialize it, which is just on par for global economy to gloat, to commercialize something that is a legit threat. <laughs> I love that element of it that they show like the shoes for uh, Romeo blue versus hardship. And they have their own Nikes or something. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah. And, and the teams all have these endorsements and, they're basically like like race car drivers or like you know professional athletes, but um, yeah, it's. I crazy. was gonna say like a, you know, like we'll definitely touch on this more when we talk about the uh, the 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 Jager, the Jaegers, mm-hmm. my bad. But uh, you know, I also love that it's basically like paralleling kind of how like world war vets were like back in the day and such where it's like you see these people like you know they get glamorized for you know piloting something Mm. and like you know for example like the jaegers they get these like interesting names like you know the one that the main character you know jumping ahead a little bit is the the gypsy danger like you can't tell me that's something you wouldn't see on the side of like a plane that's coming over to bomb germany like that (laughs) that would be legit Yeah, it's that definitely that hero worship. And there's also like when you were talking about pilots specifically, it reminded me of back in the 60s when Pan Am was the biggest thing and being a pilot was such a prestigious position and career. And and they were like celebrities, like these airline pilots were like celebrities. Uh, If you've seen the movie Catch Me If You Can, that's kind of the crux of of part of uh, Leo, Leo, Leo's character, I forget his name, but. Um, he <laughs> pretends to be one of these pilots just because of the cachet and, and how it al- allows him to move through any part of society as long as he's wearing that uniform. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it makes him, like, it, it gives you that glamorized lifestyle, which, I mean, for a lot of people, they don't know unless they're in it. Mm. So it made him easy to blend into it. So let's, you know what, let's talk about the Jaegers. I like to ask my guests if they would, if they have their definition of what a robot is. So, so Nathan, to you, how would you define a robot? What is a robot? 
I would say that a robot is a mechanized device that is intended to help standard human beings one way or another. Mm. Now, in this movie, it's obviously getting the most extreme condition of that, but still, aside from the point, like a robot, it could be as obviously as big as Jaeger or as small as a Roomba, you know? Love that. Love that answer. Would you say that a, a Jaeger is um, like a mech, which uh, I guess a better question is, would you say that like mech is a type of robot or is there like a distinction, a, a difference between a robot and a mecha or like a, like a cyborg? Mm, okay. Yeah. One little part in there that changes differently. I was going to say mech and robot. I'd say they're basically the same vein because again, a mech for the most part, it's still piloted by a human. So it's intended to help the human race. A cyborg mm-hmm. kind of has its own like independent thoughts and independent life to go with it. Like it definitely has robot. It's obviously a robot with a human brain more or less, but it's mm. which I mean, now that I say that, yeah, till technically still is a robot. Yeah, so it's so, just, you know, cyborgs actually have a conscience. <laughs> one one thing that I feel um, makes something a mecha rather than a robot is whether it can be autom- automated, fully automated. It seems mm. to me like these, I yeah. might be wrong about this, but it seems to me like the, it's impossible for these Jaegers to act entirely on their own. They, they require no. the integration of a human, two human brains inside of them. Oh, no, that's kind of the point. It's kind of like that's why it was initially one, but then it jumped to two Mm. because of everything. If it was if it was to go off on its own, like there wouldn't be like the precise like the the intuition, like right there in person more than anything else. Because as you saw with like some of the battles in the movie, yeah, like they had to make some decisions on the fly, which I don't think would have been possible if there wasn't people inside. Yes. Like, for example, I don't think a robot would come up with the idea of dragging an entire ship. And then using that as a bat to club an interdimensional, interdimensional dinosaur in the face with it. I don't think a robot would come up with that idea. I don't think most military people would also think that either. I think that's just Guillermo del Toro's like, let's have a little fun with this. It was effective, though. You cannot argue with the results, man. Oh, no, I cannot deny with the results. It was one of the most badass shots of the entire thing. <laughs> Um, all right. So I, yeah, I can imagine like this implied history of the development of these Jaegers that, that at one point maybe they tried a fully automated one or even like, like a remotely piloted one. Cause that you don't, cause you, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense that you'd want your pilots to be in danger if you have this technology where they could potentially remotely pilot it and just not be inside of it at all. But it, I, I, I have a feeling that they tried that and it didn't work. One thing I truly appreciate about the design of these Jaegers is that if you think about a mecha in general, like if you think about Gundam or like any other any other fiction that has mecha in them, the design doesn't make a lot of sense. Having something that big and tall be a bipedal humanoid form could not possibly be the most efficient form of, of just locomotion, of weapons distribution. Like it's it's versatile and that's its best trait. But it's it's not really that effective. Like a robot wouldn't think to design a robot to look like a human, especially if it was designed for like attack. Uh, it would be it would look something right. more like a tank or a plane, you know, something that doesn't require balance. Um, but right. but th- in the in this case, it it is it needs to be that way. Like there's no way around it because the people have to be inside of it or it doesn't work. And I, I think that's I don't know. What do you think of that? 
I mean, it's one of those, like, it's it's a smart design more than anything else, because it's one of those that's trying to, like, account, like, you know, most, it, like, when you see most mech movies or whatnot, it's just the human, like, sitting like they're in a tank or something like that, or yeah. they're, like they're in a plane. Meanwhile, this one actually requires, like, physical movement. It requires, like, the humans to react in this situation. That's why there's the whole entire Neuralink thing, because yep. otherwise it would just be a cool-looking robot. <laughs> And they and 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 I think you kind of mentioned this before. It's like that. Th- this is why they show them doing the judo training and and the martial arts training because they need to be able to react quickly to these kaiju. They need to be able to do judo flips, use their weight against them, uh, respond to to the because the kaiju try to grapple as well. They like to get up close. Oh yeah, and and grab with their claws and their mouths, and they like to try to rip and and tear and grab and like put them into grapples. So they have to do this training to be able to to know how to get out of that, how to reverse it. Um, and, and the design of the human body is built for that type of fighting. So therefore, another reason why these mechs have to be this design. They can't just be on treads. Even though so they, there is some variance in, in like the Mark One to the Mark uh, four? Do they get up to Mark they had four? Five. Mark five. I think I think they got that five. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some variance there in how they look, but but essentially they're bipedal humanoid forms, right? Symmetrical. Bipedal yeah. Exactly. Things. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Did you so, have a, a favorite of the uh, of all the the Jaegers that we see in this movie? I mean, like, just based on the efficiency, it's sad that they had to go so soon. But, I mean, come on, the the Chinese three-armed one, like, that one was, like, a brilliant design. The fact they had triplets piloting that, too, Mm. like, it's one of those. (laughs) I watched that, and my first thought is, well, you know, if they're doing that with triplets, let's get the uh, Octomom kids together and try to have them do an eight-armed one and see how that works. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, especially because it's good. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, if it's going in the ocean to fight these things, why wouldn't you make a, a giant Jaeger like that's shaped like a kraken and and exactly has like grab tentacles that oh my god that would be incredible yeah I, exactly th- if they make a pacific rim three that is my number one thing i want to see in it is a is a kraken jaeger <laughs> a kraken jaeger um, yeah crimson they, they have actual mm. since most of them are like shaped after like what's piling them they have actual squids <gasps> piloting it instead Ooh, <laughs> hell yeah that'd be amazing uh, Crimson Typhoon is the is the team, or I guess the the Jaeger you. that you're talking about with the three the twins and the, I'm sorry the triplets inside of it. And yeah, that is a cool concept because it the, this already when they say that it requires two pilots, your mind is already jumping to like, well, what happens if there's one? And they do answer that they address that and answer that question. And mm-hmm. I think if you watch this whole movie and they didn't include Crimson Typhoon. You'd be wondering afterwards, well, what if it was triplets? Wouldn't that make it? And so they they already thought of that, and they put that in there, and it has three arms, and it can do the, what, yeah. what's it called, thunder wave formation? I was going to say, no, but if you think about it, like, you know, not only does it look cool with the three arms, but it's actually mm-hmm. efficient because you could obviously have, like, the two arms, like, taking care of, like, holding back the kaiju, and you had the third arm just, like, swinging around out of nowhere and, like, doing an uppercut or some bullshit like that. <laughs> yeah, they're they're very adaptive. The, this this team of people that's, that built the Jaegers are very adaptive, and they're, they they have a very strong research and development team that we're going to we're gonna definitely talk about, Charlie Day and Bern Gorman. But, like... The idea to have a third pilot and try that out and uh, the thundercloud formation, the triple arm technique that they do, 
it, it shows that they're learning from the kaiju because the kaiju have tails, right? So they have like, they're, they grab with both their arms, but then they often do like a sneak attack or a side attack with that tail. And so that's kind of what the, this Crimson Typhoon team is capable of doing. You're right that like, it, it's a bummer. We, we only get to see them in action once and it's the one time that we see them fail. And that's also true of the other team. Yeah. Uh, man, I don't even remember their their Jaeger's name, but it was that Mark One, the the Russians in the in their Mark One, old school yeah. suit, uh, Jaeger suit. I forget the name either, but I know exactly what you're talking about. The the, the two snow blonde, mm-hmm. white haired, you know, Russians with the basically the tank for a Mark One. <laughs> yep, which is I think a very cool looking like classic design. Oh, they, yeah. they make a big to do about how it's like. You know, it's the first one we built, but it's still trucking. Like, it's still just solid design, that thing. Which just proves that, you know, if you give the Russian uh, more than anything else, like if you give the Russians something and they really put time and effort into mm. it, they'll make it work. That and <laughs> vodka, but mainly the Russian. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I am. Th- this is like one of my minor hangups about the movie it, overall is that is that it's a very cool world. It's very completely thought about. There's a lot. There's actually a lot of like supplemental material that you can get into. Uh, about the Pacific Rim world, but the movie mm-hmm. itself, I feel, I, I it just leaves me wanting more. With I wanted to see a few more successful missions with Crimson Typhoon and the Russians. I want, I just wanted to see them working as like in tandem, like with multiple Jaegers going together uh, before before the one time that we see them all get killed. Right, right. And that's one of those like you want to see kind of what how they earn their stripes more yeah. than anything else. Get kind of like a, a get like a mm. Clone Wars esque kind of thing going on to where you see like the behind the scenes before like the lead up, which leads to them ultimately. I would definitely, I would definitely be in for if they if they announce the Pacific Rim sequel. I don't know that this uh, franchise has been so successful or so sought after that anybody's clamoring to make a sequel. Unfortunately, but if it was out there, I would be into uh, it. I would sadly. definitely want want to see it. I mean, they did make one sequel, and isn't Netflix currently making a like anime or like cartoon based off of it? The yeah, Black Pacific Rim: like The Black, and so maybe maybe that will get some more new fans of it, and it'll inject some life back into the franchise. I I per, I think it's awesome in general. I think the I do think the world is like I said, very well thought out. There's a lot of elements to it. I love that they show us like what's happening in Hong Kong with the black the kaiju black market. Uh, the bone slums and all of that. Oh yeah. Um, but I just want more of that. You know, I want more of this world to be filled in. Oh, absolutely. Like even if it's like a short anthology series, like something to just scratch mm. that itch of like, what's like, what more is like part of it? Like, you know, w- what's involved with the black market? Uh, what's, like how much is invested with these kaijus or whatnot? What other alternatives, like what training mm. have they did in the past before they settled on the kaiju, you know? Yeah. 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 Cause you, you, yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy that they're like how much is implied and how much, uh, how economical Del Toro can be with just showing you certain things that make you ask questions, but also just by showing them to you, they have this implied history and he's sort of letting you fill in a lot of the gaps for yourself. Um, and it's, I'd say that's both good and bad, mm-hmm. good because we can imagine we can have fun yeah, speculating bad just because I want so much more, <laughs> which isn't necessarily a bad thing. I should want more. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest when it comes to Del Toro, anytime he does something, he does it to where he sets up for more, but like no studio ever wants to give him the investment mm. to make more. You know, the only time that that really happened was Hellboy, And even then, like after the second one, like there was a desire for more and they never made that mm-hmm. third one that he was planning. Yeah. 
there's um, one one other th- one big thing with the with the Jaegers is they when when they're talking about like the mind meld and mm-hmm. and how they have the the pilots that they choose have to be drift compatible. I feel I feel like there's that's more important in Act One of this movie <laughs> than it is later on uh, because. At oh, first, no, we're seeing like, okay, yeah, we have these two uh, people that are like so into each other. They have the same hair. They wear the same outfits and everything. We have these triplets that kind of, they play basketball together and they seem to be like really in tune. They typically wear the same uniforms. Um, we get this father and son team of Hercules Hudson and his son, whose name I didn't write down, but the, the guy that was just a dick to everybody the whole movie, uh, you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Until he made the, 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 yeah, yeah, I, I know exactly who you're talking um, about. No, I was going to say, like, that's, that's another thing that I guess was easily noticeable when you're talking about, like, the drifting mm-hmm. or whatnot. Like, the first connection they obviously made was what brother or sister or, like, sibling pairing can we make with these people? Because I guess that's the easiest way, because a lot of these people, especially, like, triplets or brothers or whatnot, they grew up together. So it's easy for them to get to that drift almost immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what they say. Yeah, I guess that's, like, how they explain it is that it's it's easier if you have that past connection. Not the, so it's not impossible for two strangers to eventually right. become good pilots together, as we see with Mako and uh, Raleigh, um, our two main characters. Mm. But also, uh, but also, what was established with uh, Idris Elba's character and Hercules? Like apparently, they were piloting together at one point. Yeah, so. yeah, and it was, and that was largely because what what he says is that he piloted with his dad, and like partly because of that, but also because uh, Chuck is the kid's name. Chuck is a very just a very easy person to figure out. So Idris Elba kind of like Stacker Pentecost, another yeah. very <laughs> cool name. <laughs> Stacker Pentecost tells him like yeah. pretty much I've got you yes. figured out. I, you're not a very complex person, and it's both a dig, but also a. But that's the reason why we can mind meld easily. So it's a good thing. So don't worry about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So basically, like it establishes, like yes, it's probably siblings are preferred, but it's not impossible for two strangers to just do the mind meld yeah. together. Yeah, and and sometimes the results can be they're an incredible team. So it's kind of, you're rolling the dice, and sometimes it mm-hmm. sometimes it comes up in your favor, and sometimes it you know bites you in the tail end as the first time that uh, Charles you know Mako and the the main characters character tried to mind meld together. <laughs> That's right. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? They call they call this phenomenon when you go into the mind meld, sometimes your random memories will pop up and and you'll be you'll be tempted to go down what uh, what they call chasing the rabbit. Um you'll be going down like a rabbit hole yep. of one of your memories. So why don't we why don't we dig into that cuz that was a cool a cool little uh, uh caveat to this whole concept, cool right? Concept. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's one of those like it it was interesting to see just like obviously like the the memories flash whenever like you go through these people's memories like it gives you kind of that glimpse and uh, like gets you an idea but then when we see mako actually like trying to cling on to that like first memory of a kaiju like it suddenly clicks with you it's like okay this is why you tried so hard and so harshly to get to this point but like seeing her like cling on to it like it, it was also like hurting the team more or less mm, that's yes yeah yeah i i almost thought uh they're showing us this because she. This is how she's going to come out of it because she's playing through the whole entire memory of her being helpless, running away from this kaiju, and I thought I thought the point of it was it was going to show us that once she saw 
stacker Pentecost coming out of the Jaeger and fighting this big crab kaiju, um, that's going to bring her back. It's going to bring her out of the rabbit. But it really didn't. We didn't. We didn't really get to see her make that journey. No. Uh, <laughs> which was a little bit kind of disappointing to me. Um, it was, but at the same time, I feel like that also helps later on because it's one of those, again, as part of the memories we saw, like we saw Mako like relive this, but then we also saw, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to keep saying like Charlie's or whatnot. What's the, what was the guy's name again? Raleigh, the main character? Raleigh? I keep forgetting. Like it's slipping my mind. Ra- Raleigh. Anyway, so we see Raleigh like being a part of it. It's like, okay, this is what you got to deal with. All right, I know what you're going through. Come on, work with me here. Mm-hmm. We got this. Come on. Like it's one of those like, him seeing those memories helped him both understand her a whole lot better. And thus like, you know, later on when they do have to like, when they try to do it again, when they have to do it again, like he understands what she's up, what she's up against mentally and trying to help her through it, which I think helps the process. That's a good point. That's a really, yeah, it brings them closer together as pilots. And ultimately that is more important than anything. Like their ability to fight is one thing. Mm hmm. But their ability to help each other out when when one is falling a little bit behind or struggling, it's it's about friendship, right? Ultimately, it's it's uh, it's like uh, Frodo couldn't re- return the ring to Mount Doom by himself. He needed Sam to be there as to pull him through the hard times. In the end, friendship wins. <laughs> There it is. <laughs> SpongeBob. That's a really good SpongeBob. I don't think that was. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I wasn't even trying. I was just trying to do like the the giddy up upbeat kids voice. Oh, so there you go. <laughs> um, so so yeah, there. Uh, one, I will. I I just want to voice like my probably my biggest disappointment with the movie. Let's go. And and I if I'm talking, I feel like I'm already voicing too many of those because I love this movie. I really do. But I just I have these small <laughs> nitpicks about it. And one of them is that I felt like the movie was promising me a scene where where Stacker Pentecost and Mako Mori getting a Jaeger together. But they just kind of teased that and then it ended up each of them got a different pilot that they went off with, which was fine, but and and honestly was the point of the story they were telling. But I don't know. It, it, it they they played with my hopes and dreams. I think a little bit. No, I I totally get that. But in the same vein, I want to say I didn't get that kind of vibe more than anything else. Like more or less, like I was just thinking that it wasn't so much like Pentecost not thinking that Mako was ready, but like Mako trying to hold on because that was like his last little, I guess like his last little bits of like sanity or something like that. Because again, he's gone through, he, he's gone through this whole entire like situation, uh, both independently and uh, yeah, he's gone through this whole entire situation, like especially with Mako, like trying to basically be like a guardian to her ever since he first met her or whatnot. So it's one of those like the first opportunity I even go back just a little bit further, but it's like, you know, this is, this is, uh, like basically Pentecost has been there for Mako ever since like the start. And he understands like just how harsh it is, especially since the fact that he's been there as part of like one of the first fighters. He knows how rough it is on a person. He doesn't want the scene going back to this person that he cares so deeply about. So it's not so much as a, you know, the team up moment that would have, that would have been cool. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. But at the same time, it's more of just like, you know, Hey, I understand like, we've got to do this. Like you've got to do this. Like I cannot hold on to this anymore. Like you are an independent person that you want to save the world. The world cannot survive if I keep you back. Mm, mm. That's, that's a good, yeah, that's a good point. And I guess also the movie ne- kind of needed stacker Pentecost to make the sacrifice play at the end. Uh, right, and, right. and, and Malco had to survive. 
Um, mm -hmm. We do we do get uh, we find the in the spoilers for the sequel to this movie. Stacker Pentecost's son is is the main character played by John Boyega. Right. Um, I have yet to see that sequel. I'll, I'll be honest. Oh, about that. it's it's good. It did. It got like no nobody saw it. It got like no attention. Yeah. There was no fanfare for it. Uh, but I I loved it. And uh, maybe one day maybe one day we'll talk all about the the sequel to this movie. But um, but yeah, one right. one you better hold me up to that. <laughs> awesome. Um, one major spoiler <laughs> is that the main character is Stacker Stacker Pentecost's son. Um, right. And. And Mako, I don't, I have to, man, actually, I have to double check this, but I don't think Mako comes back in the, in the second one. <laughs> Most I, characters actually, don't. Actually, I, th I think she does because I was looking up the, the actress herself, Rinko mm. uh, Kikuchi or whatever mm -hmm. her name is. Like, she, first off, wonderful actress. Guillermo del Toro makes she, a great oh, hire because I think she nailed the role. But I was like, I was looking through, I was like, what else has she been? Because I haven't heard of her past that movie. Yep. And she, and like one of the roles was in uh, Uprising. That's right. Yes, I'm double checking on IMDb right now. She is in 2018's Pacific Up Rim Uprising. I just, man, like I said, it, no, it, the movie barely exists. Nobody saw it. I saw it. I loved it, and I forgot all about it. So I, I need to yeah. go watch it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, you she mean, is oh, I need it. to see it in the first place. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the okay, we've talked. We've talked a lot about robots, the concept of robots, how this movie shows robots. Um, Let's talk about the kaiju. Would you say that, would you, would you, okay, but before I ask if you would call these, uh, what you would call these kaiju, what is your definition of a dinosaur? What does it take to qualify something as a dinosaur? Well, I mean, a, a dinosaur, at least in my eyes, was a prehistoric being of sorts, like mainly considered to be reptile, but again, you know, science you know, only tells so much, but a prehistoric being that roamed the earth ages ago before being absolutely destroyed. Okay. That that's, that's my definition as a dinosaur. Okay. These things mostly fit that definition. Uh, we find out that they tried to roam the earth back during prehistoric yes. times, but they were yeah, stopped because <laughs> of our atmosphere. <laughs> That was the thing I was going to emphasize if you didn't bring it up. It's like, mm. you know, I was watching this movie because I, I I picked Pacific Rim mainly to talk about the robots because that's what everyone okay. focuses on. But then I was watching it and I remember the scene, the, the scene where Charlie Day's character um, gets hooked up to a kaiju, a fraction of a kaiju brain and uh -huh. sees like basically their history. And like he's talking about they're, they're not. It's not their first time coming here. They were here before. They were dinosaurs. And I'm like, wait, so dinosaurs are evil? <laughs> Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, he there. There is a gap in that explanation where it's like he's just like, yeah, the dinosaurs. Oh, and then uh, they couldn't do it. But it's like, did the dinosaurs stop them? Did like were they fighting T-Rexes and the T-Rexes were winning? Like what what was what exactly was the hang? No, no, I, I, I thought the implication was that kaijus were the dinosaurs. Like the dinosaurs were the first oh, example of kaijus roaming the world. So those are creatures that came from. So okay, so a T Rex is quite literally. Charlie Day is telling us this. Um, Doctor uh, Doctor Newton Geisler is positive. Yeah. That so Newt. <laughs> <laughs> that the let me actually. I think I, I wrote it down. So let me actually read the whole thing because it is. There you go. Um, yes, they're attacking us under orders. Uh, they, these masters, colonists, they overtake worlds just to, uh, they overtake worlds, they just consume them, and then they move on to the next. And they've been here before on a sort of trial run. It was the dinosaurs, but the atmosphere wasn't con conducive, so they waited it out. 
and now ozone depletion and carbon monoxide uh, polluted waters, we practically terraformed it for them. Yeah, whenever he said it was the dinosaurs, my thought was the implication was the dinosaurs were the first example of kaijus for okay. like roaming the land. So quite literally, that's what I got from it. The the things that we see on the other side of the gate at the end, they created T Rexes, Velociraptors, uh, Triceratopses, and they sent them through this portal to to roam the planet. Um, and I guess what like try to kill. Every other form, like try to kill all the mammals, try to kill all of the, just just try to make sure they could take all the land that they could at the time. Mm. And my because think about it, like we always consider dinosaurs as like the king beast of their time, like roaming the land. So like they yeah. were basically there, but then the atmosphere just sucked. Got it. Okay. So okay. So at some point there was whatever extinction event killed the dinos, the quote unquote dinosaurs. Uh, when that happened, the kaiju were like, "All right, we tried." We got to we'll come back. We'll come back in several million years. It's like they they were already like planning their investments in the future. It's like, OK, maybe we can have like some like future being. We see these little like mammals over here. They might be able to fuck themselves up. Let's wait on that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that and that gamble paid off for them, didn't it? <laughs> it, 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 it almost did. Almost did. <laughs> almost. It almost did. Yeah. Well, the fact that there's a sequel to this movie tells you that it, oh, in the end, it did pay off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it did pay off. Like it's one of um, those, like you know, they, they, I mean, if nothing else, like the the years of behind it definitely gave them time to like rework their like designs and be like, okay, we mm. need to be more efficient with this. We need them bigger. We need them better. We need them to be able to destroy anything in sight because these little things that are roaming the earth and whatnot, they're good, but it might get a little bit worse, you know, years in the future. We gotta work on this. We gotta get better, man. I do. I like upgrades, that aspect people. Upgrades. <laughs> upgrades. Exactly. I love that aspect of it, that it's like these, we're building these Jaegers. We're trying to improve on the last design. We have the Mark one through whatever. They are doing the same thing on their end. They're quote unquote evolving. But we, we, I think at the end we see like the most intelligent ones, the biggest ones that are designing the clones, the ones that are at, like upgrading the clones. And it's, it's, oh, I yeah. think it's a fun commentary that like, while we're trying to upgrade our designs, they're doing the same thing, but on a biological level. And, like, they're adding yeah. tail weapons or they're adding, like, projectiles or EMP blasts or things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, you know, it, it is impressive. And actually, now that you brought the EMP blast, I mm. wanted to go off on this little tangent. Yeah, I know yeah. how you're talking about, like, you would, you would think at the beginning, like, whenever they were first developing the... Uh, the Jaegers, like they would go like all digital or something like that with it. Well, we saw with the EMP blast, like that was kind of the opposite case. You know, they like, they tried to go with like the human standard ones and then they tried to go digital, probably to use less people, like try to go like mm. more digital with it. But as we saw with the EMP blast, like the digital ones, like they shut down and they were useless. Right. Yeah. Because, uh, because that's why the gypsy danger is able to save the day because it's quote unquote analog rather than digital. It, it's nuclear. <laughs> nuclear. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh goodness. <laughs> okay. So. I mean, I, I, yeah. I was gonna say, like, uh, on top of that, like, obviously, like, you know, they probably tried to go with more digital because, as we saw at one point, it's like they were gonna cut off the fundings for these, you know, for the Jaeger. So mm. it's like they were trying to find a way to make them more efficient for people, so that we don't like use so much life force or whatnot going into it. That's why they tried to go with the digital, but obviously that backfired whenever the one kaiju developed fucking EMP blast. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, the... So I, I definitely, okay, I definitely want to talk about the other plan that humanity came up with that obviously failed, yeah. <laughs> the wall. Um, okay, before, one second. Before, yeah, before, we divulge, yeah. one second. before we divulge too much into that, I want to go back a little bit back to that intro when it oh, comes yes. to that stuff. Can I, just, can I just say that this movie, in a way, foreshadowed 2020 as a whole? Because, like, if you... Yes. <laughs> if, Go if you off. look at it, so like it starts off, it, it starts off with like the, these little blips here and there, which for us in 2020 would be Wuhan. Like you see these little like bad things, but it's like oh they're they're nothing bad. Like we joke about it and such. And then 2020, if you look at the movie, it talked about like when the the major like the biggest kaiju of the time attacked and destroyed mm. uh, Rolly's brother or whatnot. That happened to 2020. 2020 is when oh, Corona really yeah. hit and it really kind of screwed us all really badly, like. It kind of like it hmm. went for the worst case scenario. And on top of that, like we have all these issues. And what does the government decide? We're going to build a wall to fix it. Like <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get the kaiju to pay for it. <laughs> we're going to get the kaiju to pay for it. So basically Pacific Rim foreshadowed 2020. So we can blame Guillermo del Toro for 2020. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, call your co- call your congressman. Tell them that to stop allowing Guillermo del Toro to make movies. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, actually, do the opposite. Yeah. Tell them, tell them, like Guillermo del Toro make every movie. Absolutely, but yeah, no, like you're talking about, like there, the alternate solution was the wall, which mm. we like, you know, one that was how we were able to explain why Roly was gone for years because he decided to right. be away from the 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 Jaegers and decided to go for the wall. But we also see, secondly, how horrible of a plan it is to build a wall to border your country. Right, just saying. <laughs> right but just yeah just the i i can't understand i mean the jaegers do look incredibly expensive but they can mm-hmm. literally go into space and the bottom of the ocean so they're incredibly designed uh and must be super expensive but i just can't see the cost efficiency of building a wall i can't see how that would possibly uh uh Pass like the 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 concept stage as an idea. I mean, I think the the main it thing is like different kinds of workforces or whatnot because it's like all the money that all the money that always goes in the military when it comes to government or whatnot compared to uh, the money that goes into. Oh yeah, so the money that goes into military and such is always like mm. exponential, as you can see. Like the military spending is absolutely insane. So it's like okay, so we're gonna go from insane military spending to you know cheap labor and cheap materials by just getting steel or whatnot. And you also yeah. gotta realize, like like we said with the gypsy, like again, they're using nuclear power and such. That's not cheap, okay? Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> and and uh, I've mentioned we see a few instances where the Jaegers fail, but. They show they show the wall very very flagrantly failing. They show one of these kaiju just like pop its head right through, and I think it's a category four kaiju that does it. Um, it might even yeah. be just a category three that does it, but it just it just smashes right through this giant wall that they built, and everybody's panicking at that point because they're like, well, once it gets past the wall, we didn't build a kaiju that's inside the or a, a, a jaeger that's inside the wall to defend so i guess we're just the wall is it if they breach the wall that's that's that they win 
And also, like, I just want to see, like, the physical, like, how is the wall going to be built? Like, where, mm. what's, like, the border of the wall? Because we've seen walls being built before. Look in China. Didn't really help out that much. Yeah. And also, if you think about it, these, th- we don't know yet that they can fly. The, the la- that one that start, that sprouts wings and flies at the end. I think that's the first time that's ever happened. And I mm-hmm. also think it kind of did that out of necessity because it's, uh, one, its tail was, was frozen and smashed off. And then I think one of its arms was cut off or something, but it, it grew wings, uh, basically. Um, and I don't think that they've been flying before that, but once they can fly, a wall is absolutely useless. Even if they can't fly, I think we've seen them climb buildings and stuff like yeah. they can climb I just, again, I just can't even, if I, if I was in the meeting where somebody was like, a wall, I'd be like, what other ideas does anybody have? Anybody else? <laughs> it's like a wall and be like, shut up, Trump. All right, yeah. uh, Germany, what do you got going on? <laughs> a wall. Okay, let's think about that for five seconds. Great, that wouldn't work. What else? What else do we got? It's like, we have a wall. We're talking about interdimensional beings, not your kitchen, all right? Come on, let's move <laughs> forward. <laughs> and I think that's why... Um, that's why Stacker Pentecost, Idris Elba's character, uh, has his organization, his group, this, at this Alaskan, uh, man, I thought I had the name written down, but like his Alaskan base. Oh, um, oh, they're in Hong Kong. It's literally just called Alaska base. (laughs) I Uh, I thought they were in Hong Kong. My bad. (laughs) They do. Okay. They do end up in Hong Kong later. The, I think the first base is in Alaska. One of their bases is in Alaska. Yeah, you're right. It There's might be a base in, somewhere. There's a base. They got a base. They build they build Jaegers. They deploy them from there. They have base op- operations. Um, what I'm getting at is Stacker Pentecost is kind of the only, like, I think Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro needs us as the audience to understand this is what the government's doing, and it's not going to work. This is what Stacker Pentecost and his dudes are doing, and he has the respect and the understanding to not only have, like, pick the right pilots, do all this intensive training for them, make it, like... Being a pilot, this is your entire life, your entire purpose. But not only that, but he has these two very, very wild, harebrained scientists that are his R&D division, and he takes them seriously, and he gives them funding, and he lets them research the kaiju. Like, I don't think the government, the government government, the world government that's building this wall is thinking in that direction. I think they're thinking, like, Build a wall. End of story. We're good. Well, well, I mean, it's kind of also another thing you have to also realize is Pentecost. He has the experience fighting against these guys. There it is. Compared to most of the most of the government people probably hadn't even set foot. Like the closest they probably got to a kaiju was one of the little plastic action figures that they were talking about at the beginning. Mm. That's probably the closest they ever got. So they don't understand like what's going on in the like front lines until they see the aftermath, until they see the dollar signs that it's going to take to repair these cities. That's what they're focused on. Not, you know, hey, Hey, how are we going to stop this thing? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, he's he's kind of un- he has a unique perspective because he's been he's been in the fight, and yeah. and uh, so so Gottlieb and Doctor Newton Geisler, Charlie Day and Burn Gorman are yes. such a fun pair of characters. They work <laughs> so well together. They play off of each other really well. They're um, and they're and I, I love that we have both of them because they they disagree, they bicker. Um, you could just have like one of them playing the crazy, wild-eyed scientist who has like the 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 solution that ends up solving everything. But I don't know. I I I really appreciate the fact that it's two different characters. 
Well, I mean, it, it also worked out that there were two different characters because it showed two completely different personalities when it comes to the mad scientist. Because mm. Charlie was just all about like, okay, we need to understand these beings. We got to understand them. We got to know what's going on with them because he's the, the rock star, you know, groupie or whatnot when it comes to the kaiju. Yep. Meanwhile, got like sleeve the, tattoos <laughs> and sleeve tattoos and everything. Meanwhile, the other one, like he was he was more analytical. Like he mm-hmm. was talking about like he was more grounded in stats and statistics and such yeah it's like he's like this is like this is like he probably he probably makes analytics on like when he has to take a shit like that's how analytical Mm. he is all right so (laughs) and so going with the themes of this movie one of them is more of like a right hemisphere thinker the other one's more of a left hemisphere thinker uh they're both Mm -hmm. very intelligent being like individuals but but at some point they need to do a mind meld together in order to to uh, see into the mind of the kaiju and really like piece together what their plan is so they can get out ahead of it. And if there weren't two of these harebrained scientists, um, we wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to do it because it almost, it almost overloads Charlie Day just connecting to the frontal lobe of one of the kaiju. Like that almost oh, yeah. overrides his whole entire brain. Oh no, absolutely. It's one of those, <laughs> basically this is a long winded Bo Burnham sketch. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but at the same time, but like it, it makes perfect sense because, like I said, you know these two different personalities. Like obviously, Charlie is more like the emotional one. Like he's all about like trying to understand the person as a person. Yeah. Meanwhile, like you know, the other person's like trying to get like the analytics sound. Like how can we do this in the most efficient way possible? How are mm. we gonna like analyzing every little detail to make sure it goes according to how it should go in nature? When in the end, like you need both to kind of understand each other. You need the you need the analytics to understand like you know the motivation behind a person. Uh, mm. meanwhile, you need the, you need the emotion to understand that, uh, I'm trying to make a connection, but I'm horrible with connections. <laughs> I hear what you're saying though. It's like a psychologist versus a psychiatrist. One of them understands how brain yes. chemistry works and how certain, uh, uh, substances that like we can create, uh, prescriptions and things that they can, that science, science can make in a laboratory can alter your brain chemistry. The other deals more with how does your how do your internal emotions, how do external factors in your environment affect your brain function and your brain patterns and thoughts. And so you can we kind of as humans we kind of we need both of the, we need psychiatrists exactly. and psychologists. Um, it, yeah. It's one of those Guillermo del Toro is very good about like having. Uh, well, I, I, I not just him. Uh, who is the name? Who is the writer again? Beckham. Uh, Tim Travis, Beckham. Is that, uh, Travis. Travis Beecham. Ba- Travis Beecham. Like they're yeah. both really good about having that nice little like metaphor in there about left and right brains to kind of understand that. Like Charlie could have probably done this as much as he could by himself, but he could also probably could have killed himself mm-hmm. doing all this stuff by himself. But, like, with both of them together, they were able to work coherently at the proper moment that they needed to, and they were both able to help save the day, because otherwise the plan that they initially had in order to close the bridge would not have worked at all. Yes. In fact, it almost it almost sets up the kaiju to, to – it almost gives them an advantage, because now they've seen into one of our top scientists' minds that's working against them, and they have some idea of what we're doing or what we're preparing to fight back against them. And so it almost right, because drifting's a two-way backfires. street. What'd you say? Yeah, I said yeah, because drifting's a two-way street, as yeah. emphasized by uh, Hannibal Chow. <laughs> yep. 
Uh, and so the other character is um, uh, Gottlieb, played by Bern Gorman. Are you familiar with this actor? Because he is one of my favorite character actors in Hollywood right now. Uh, you've got to like run through some of the roles because I'll probably know him based on other stuff, but I'd be happy to. One big thing is in the expanse, he played one of the villains in season four, um, Adolphus Murtry. And, uh, I am a huge fan of the expanse books. The show is doing a fantastic job and he was absolutely perfect casting for that. Another thing that he is known for is, uh, he had a very short stint on game of thrones as the character Carl Tanner. Um, okay. He was like a leader of the mutinous... Uh, are you a Game of Thrones fan, or am I like... I, I, I'm not. Gotcha. But okay. I like... I, <laughs> trust me, I, res- I give respect to it and all that stuff like that. Like It's definitely amazing in its lore. I just need time to invest in it. That's just on me. <laughs> okay. Carl Tanner was one of... The, uh, for, for anybody that is a Game of Thrones fan, just real quick, like he was one of the, um, one of the Night's Watch... And he went to Craster's Keep when the Night's Watch went on uh, a small quest there. Um, but he led a group of mutineers. And he, had, he was kind of featured for about four or five episodes. Um, okay. Yeah, he's just, man, I, I'm trying to, I'm looking like at some of the other things that he's done. He has a lot of credits. Looks like he was in The Dark Knight Rises, but I don't remember him from that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he seems to be popular on some shows like Jamestown, which I don't know. Uh, but anyway, re- I think he's a really great um, character actor. I love this character. Both of these characters, I'm very grateful they make it through the end of the movie because both of them come back in the sequel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I can only imagine. I know, I remember whenever the trailers were coming out for Uprising, I remember seeing uh, Charlie's character mm. says, like, basically the new Hannibal or something like that. So, yeah, I, t- <laughs> I sort of got that. Yeah, he, he really leans into being more of a rock star. And, of course, Gottlieb leans even more into being a Tweety uh, uh, professor type and, and mathematician yeah. type. Um, but yeah, the, these are, they're, they're two of my favorite characters in the movie. Charlie Day, we get this whole side quest with him going into the Kaiju black market. He gets permission from Idris Elba to go find this guy, Hannibal Chow in the bone slums because he wants mm-hmm. to get, uh, and we've already talked about the reasons, but he wants to get access to a fully intact live Kaiju brain so he can mind meld with it. Um, this is, uh, <laughs> speaking of favorite characters, we get, when, when he meets Hannibal Chow, played by the great Ron Perlman, we get one of the best lines ever, which is where he says like, yeah, you like my name? I took it from my favorite historical character and my second favorite Szechuan restaurant in Brooklyn. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Golden line right there. Just kind of one of those like, yeah, I'm that good. I'm that cool. I can make yeah. anything sound good. Yep. He, he, he could read you a phone book name by name and it would sound awesome. That's how cool he gives off here. <laughs> he just is dripping with swagger. Just absolutely. Exactly. With swagger. Uh, <laughs> and, and once again, Ron Perlman owns the role. Yep. Absolutely. And Del Toro has worked with Perlman before, of course, in mm-hmm. Hellboy and uh, Hellboy 2. So yep. it's, it's, I think that's always fun when you see like, Somebody come in to do four or five minutes of screen time, but they're this big. And and you know that it's because like the, the actor and the director have this relationship. They they play off each other really well. And this is like this is all you need from Hannibal Chow. Like we know this whole oh, character absolutely. from every from the bits that we see. We don't need anymore. Yeah. 
absolutely. I also want to say side tangent. Ron Perlman is a surprising actor, I would say, because mm. like everyone knows him from Hellboy or whatnot. And if this they've seen this movie, they know him from here. But like if you look at his resume and stuff like that, there's a lot of stuff he was in that like surprised me, like especially when it comes to voice acting and stuff. He has a yeah. wide range that I did not expect. OK, like I was yeah. a huge fan of uh, Danny Phantom growing up. And the fact that he voiced ah. the principal in that show surprised me. Danny Phantom. I have, I'm not familiar with that. What is yeah. that? Oh, it's a uh, it was a Nickelodeon show back in like the early to mid two thousand mid two thousands about uh, a boy who like his parents are ghost hunters and like after Ah. trying to fix the machine that like gets him to the ghost world he is able to turn into a ghost and is fighting off the ghosts that are going through like the ghost portal and such. Okay. That sounds cool. Yeah, huh. it is cool. It was a, it was a Butch Hartman was the one that made the show. He was the person behind Fairly Odd Parents. If you've heard of that show, Love Fairly if Odd not, Parents. that's fine. Th- then there you go. Then th- this like imagine that, but like a million times cooler because it was made for at least a more teen audience rather than like the kid audience of the you know, or I should say at least preteen audience because like it was absolutely cool. The characters were absolutely memorable, and like I said, Ron Perlman, like when you see the principal. Like mm-hmm. he's not at all like intimidating or anything. Like he's he's bald, like got a little goatee, and like his quote, like he's always he's being like you know the 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 principal that's trying to show his authority with like a somewhat weak voice, but not really. And like my favorite part of him is like whenever he like exclaims something, like whenever he's surprised by something, he does it by listing uh, book titles. So like mm. he'll say like the Prince and the Popper or you know Chicken Soup for the Soul. Like that was one of my personal favorite ones. Right there. That's fine. I like that a lot. That's really cool. Oh, absolutely. Like um, he's he's a great character for that show. But awesome. like when you see that and then like like you see that character of him and then you see him being this like absolute badass, mm-hmm. like swagger, like to the brim in Pacific Rim. You look at those two and you're like, they're not the same person. They can't be the same person. <laughs> <laughs> I have one. OK, I have, there's one other thing that happens in this movie that I, I kind of want to dig into, um, which is we get this we get this amazing like final battle setup, right? So the mm-hmm. the Charlie and uh, and Gottlieb have found out what the Kaiju's plan is. They know that they're 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 waiting on the other side of the thing, and that they have this barcode scanner, basically that we can't just send our bomb through like we want to. We have to make sure that like we can fool this Kaiju signature scanner, and and so they come up with this plan to like attach themselves to a Kaiju and go through with the bomb. Um, you don't think anybody's going to escape. Uh, but Idris Elba is giving a stack of Pentecost is gives us this amazing speech that I think this line was in the, the trailer because it's such a good line where he says, oh, yeah. um, we're going to uh, today. There's not a, a man or a woman who shall stand alone. Not today. Today we face the monsters that are at our door and we bring the fight to them. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a golden line. Glimmer, mm-hmm. they, and again, Gamero del Toro, perfect with casting, gave it to the right person because Idris Elba has that booming voice to really yeah. like give that speech out to. Yeah, and it's it's like it's so inspiring and it's so out there. It's so ridiculous. Like I, I wrote the whole thing down just so I could like pick it apart and read it. It's so ridiculous and poetic. But and that but that's the reason you need somebody like Idris Elba to sell it, and he sells it. Oh yeah! And then he goes out there uh, with with what's his name, um, uh, Chuck? Is that right? Yeah, Chuck. I, I think yeah. Um, the the D bag character, and 
Um, so this, there's this moment that I, that I just think is an incredible visually. This whole movie, one thing I really appreciate is how much you can track whenever a fight's happening, you can visually track like when the person's line, when the kaiju is, is swinging for like winding up for a swing and mm-hmm. what the, the, the Jaeger is doing in response and how it's maneuvering its body to get ready to swing or to, to, uh, switch its weight over to its hips and do a judo throw or whatever it's going to do. It's all very followable action because Teltoro really knows how to film film action. Oh yeah, there is this incredible moment when Stacker uh, Stacker and God, Chuck. I keep forgetting this character's name. Stacker and Chuck, uh, they decide. Okay, our only shot here, our only chance to stop the two kaiju that are coming after us is to blow ourselves up with our nuclear, basically blow the core. And when they do, they show from the perspective of the other, of the gypsy danger, uh, Jaeger, that they run away from the explosion. They like, they, they, they like grab the ground, the seabed, because they're at the bottom of the ocean. They grab like the seabed to hang on. And then there's this moment where the explosion has evaporated all of the water around them in a bubble. And, like, I didn't think about this the first time I saw it because it all happened so fast and I was so mesmerized by everything. But, like, I went, I rewound and watched this moment a few times because it's, if you think about the physics of this, like, you're at the bottom of the ocean and nuclear bomb goes off, it would absolutely disintegrate everything around it, including the water itself. And then it's, yeah. it only lasts for a moment because then all of the water from everything surrounding that bubble just comes crashing in. Um, well, I wonder if it disintegrated it or just like pushed it out because again, it's nothing it, yeah. else. Is like it's, it's a nuclear blast. Like the the force of it alone is gonna like push some shit out. I'm That's surprised there wasn't like record. I wasn't surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a news feed from later on that day. It's like record earthquakes hit around mm. the Pacific area today. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking like that. Would that like shift the tectonic plates? Are we gonna? Yeah, earthquake it might cause earthquakes <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we present to you, thanks to the nuclear explosions, New Pangea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then, of course, because it has to for the movie, the gypsy danger survives this blast. And, <laughs> right. um, and then also because it just has to happen for the movie, uh, they get in there, they blow themselves up, or they blow up, the, they blow up the bottom half of it, and they get out in these escape rafts. Okay. <laughs> absolutely can i just say how convenient it was so if you remember like they were going to do the barcode thing but with yes. like the 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 body that they split right down the middle which was a gorgeous yeah. shot on its own <sighs> um so isn't it also convenient that in that nuclear blast that body was able to still remain even though it was in, implied that the other two bodies were supposed to be blown up even though we realized later on yeah no that that's like it didn't kill one of them <laughs> This movie is sometimes very intellectual, sometimes falls apart when you start to pick apart like the the, the logic of things. Um, I mean, at the, I mean, at the end of the day, you're just looking to have a good time and like yeah. a little detail of, oh, look, there's the half carcass over there that didn't blow up in the blast. That that could be easily dismissed whenever you, you know, then a few seconds later have the giant category five kaiju <laughs> still like nuclear sores all over its body, like rising up to destroy what's left of you. Yeah. Uh, Nathan, did you see Godzilla versus Kong? I did not see Godzilla versus Kong. I do not Oof. have HBO Max. I need to. It is, you're going to love it when you get to see it. If you liked this movie, okay. you're going to love it. It's, 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 I would say the same exact thing about that movie that I just said about Pacific Rim. It, it is intellectual sometimes, but sometimes it's just big monsters punching each other in the face 
And like, if they, which is all you want, yeah. And if they need to be on top of an aircraft carrier, and you as the audience need to not think about how their weight distribution would just crack an aircraft carrier in half if they if they were standing on it, <laughs> that's fine because they punch each other in the face, and that's what we're here for. So <laughs> you had me at aircraft carrier because I didn't even think that was a, a visual I needed. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I apologize if I spoiled anything for you. It is in the trailer, and I do, uh, but, but uh, I still d- still I apologize if I if I spoiled that for you. You don't need to apologize for spoiling anything to me. For me, I, it doesn't matter if something is spoiled a million times over. As long as I sit down and have my own like good experience of the like the meat and mm. potatoes in between mm-hmm. the beginning and end. That's all I care about. Yeah, I highly recommend uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. I we, we just did a review on it last week, so watch it first. Mm-hmm. But then, um, listeners, then go, go back listen and, and check out that review as well. Um, Nathan. And check out all the other reviews because this is a good podcast. Oh, thanks a lot, <laughs> man. That's really cool. <laughs> it's nice of you to say. Uh, Nathan, do you have anything more to say about the movie itself, Pacific Rim, uh, any, any, anything about it that you want before we move on to my bonus questions? Well, I'm disappointed in you, my good sir, because mm. you missed a very key detail. I know we kind of mm, talked mm-hmm. about one little thing, but how could we miss the most badass part of this entire movie? And that's the gypsy danger having a fucking sword. Oh yeah. Come on. That was the most badass part, especially whenever like it was first revealed, like, you know, Mako had a hand with like developing this thing a little bit more. Let's be honest. Like mm-hmm. the fact that she was able to bust that out of nowhere, like it's nothing like, and using that to destroy it. It was just that fun. It was just that fun moment that, you know, we got to see, especially when the, uh, the, the kaiju was like taking them up in the space and they were losing oxygen. Just that reveal yeah. and the slice was absolutely gorgeous. Like, you know, that was a scene that Guillermo was like, this needs to be in it. I don't care how it's done. This needs to be in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right to be disappointed in me. One way of looking at it is I wanted you to be able to enthusiastically describe that. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was okay. saving it sure, up. Sure, we're going yeah. to go for that. And also, the I just want to say, <laughs> and also I just want to say, wasn't it convenient that one of that for the brain aspect or whatnot, mm. that one of the monsters just happened to be pregnant, like yeah, at that moment. Which I just want to say, like, if that's the case, I wonder what the the workforce is like for the uh, the kaiju. It's like, all right, Miriam, mm. we need you to come in at uh, six for the giant attack. Really, like, I, I'm, I'm like close to my due date or whatnot. It's like, look, if we can get anyone else, we could. But <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, that that makes me question something I never questioned before. At some point, they say that they're all clones. But we see one that's pregnant. I, it's not to say that something that's cloned can't get pregnant, but right. It's yeah. I guess uh, I guess they're doing both. I guess they're like having them populate and 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 just they're they're trying not to put all their eggs in one basket. They can go yeah. ahead and see how one of them will will repopulate the planet once they take over. It's like why not go ahead and put that egg in that basket and see how it works out, which hmm. it turned out to be the biggest flaw of their planks. In fact, that's how we figured out what was wrong with how to, to destroy everything for them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I wonder, I wonder, okay. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it. Okay. Yeah. They would need to, the clones would need to like rip everything apart, tear it down. But like, it makes sense that they, some of them would be pregnant so that after they do that, they can stop using so much power to send clones through and just have them naturally give birth while they're, and like it, it, it established more of a dominant presence by that way. So, right, absolutely. All right. uh, okay. I mean, <laughs> I'll say past that. I mean, you know, again, we could just always talk about just 
you know, the cool visuals and stuff like that. Like, mm. I, I was like, going back to your little uh, aircraft thing, yeah. let's be honest, one of the coolest scenes was during that, uh, the Hong Kong fight. Yes. Where a uh, freaking gypsy punches into a building, stops right before that one desk, and the Newton's balls go back and forth. I love that visual. That's a great gag. That's a really fun <laughs> Del Toro moment. Like, that's, that's his, yeah. as a director, like, his visual style and signature is all over that moment. It's so fun. Uh, oh, absolutely. Because as soon as soon as you describe it, I know exactly what you're talking about, and it, and I can see it replay in my head. That like mm-hmm. it's it stops just short, just enough. Um, yeah, that whole entire sequence is hands down the best in the film. It's it's when oh, yeah. Gypsy Danger is fighting the the kaiju. That's also the same. It, like he, it brings in the ship to use the bat. Uh, I actually wrote down this is the movie where a robot swings a ship like a bat to beat up an interdimensional dinosaur. And if I, and if I have to explain more than that, then you know that this movie is not for you. Um. <laughs> you know what? Th- that, that's the perfect little bow on this thing. That that's exactly <laughs> how it should be. Like if you describe that scene and you're not at least invested to learn more, yeah. just go watch, go watch Mortal Kombat or something like that. <laughs> that, uh, that sword moment. You're right. Is such a cool, it's such a cool, like power Rangers moment. Uh, in Transformers, yeah. Optimus Prime rarely ever used it, but every once in a while he'd be in a fight where, like, no, I gotta take out the sword now. Like, things are getting real and I gotta take out my sword. And when he does pull it out, it's so cool because you're like, oh, yeah, because, he, because of the fact that you don't always see it, because they're not always di- dipping into that well. Yeah, it's like it's nice to know that in a world where we have some of the most advanced weapons with rockets and plasma guns and nuclear weapons, the most reliable weapon is a fucking sword. Oh, yeah. And it's a cool sword, too. It's like in, in Soul Calibur, like Ivy. Uh, I don't know if you're yes. that fight. Yeah, yeah. Um, like a whip sword. It, like it's versatile. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, it starts off as a whip sword, but then like, of course, it like like retracts together to make mm-hmm. it to the sword that's needed to fucking obliterate everything in sight. It's so cool. Um, Mm -hmm. so Nathan, I think I, I think I'm going to know the answer to this question, but how would you rate the robots in this movie? Would you give them a plus one, a minus one or a neutral? I would give it a plus one, but with a caveat. Mm. It's one of those. It's definitely a big plus one because obviously they were the, the, the superior like weapon of choice or they were the superior like thing in this you know, movie, but obviously like, you know, it, it had setbacks with the whole entire, like, you know, two person thing or like whether or not it was analog or digital or whatnot. Like I bet, I don't know how well they divulged on it in the sequel, but if they tinkered with the technology a little bit more to make it more efficient, if the military actually invested a little bit more in it, then maybe like it would be like the most efficient thing out there. Mm-hmm. But like, obviously the flaws is what helped kind of progress the movie a little bit. Mm. So uh, nevertheless, I still give it a, Big, big plus one. Awesome. I think from our discussion, I'm ready to say that these kaiju count as dinosaurs. They definitely count oh, as yeah. cinematic dinosaurs. Um, would you agree with that? And and if so, would you give them, what would your rating on the dinosaurs in this movie be? Um, 
so one, I do absolutely agree with that. Like I said, I was the one that actually brought the point because I picked up on that from Charlie's thing. Excellent. But uh, but uh, I would actually give them a neutral for this one because it's one of those like th- it's not like their plan was flawed. It's just that the resistance was greater than they anticipated. So I'm not going to give them a big down because they're not anything disappointing. It's just they didn't go through what they had. They, they did not account for humans as well as they did. So mm. for that, I'm just going to give them a neutral. I like that. Okay. Um, I am definitely going to also give a plus one to robots. The Jaegers are so cool. I would definitely love to be able to pilot one. Uh, of course. It, it would be so much fun. Um, and Are just, you going to be drifting with me? Are we going to be in this thing together? <laughs> I was going to ask you, Do you? is there somebody in your life that like you – you know for sure, like if they if they recruited me to be a Jaeger pilot, I would say yes. But this is the person that needs to be my co-pilot. Like, is there? Do you have somebody that you're that close to? If there's going to be anyone, I don't know if he would be down for it. But if it's going to be anyone, it's going to be my dad. Okay. It's one of those. Uh, he he's he's told me a lot about what's gone through with his life, and obviously he was the one that helped raise me, so he understands. You know, he understands for the most part what I've been through. Mm. Um, it's one of those like he's he's basically my best friend. I cannot think of a better person that I think would work in this kind of situation to where like we understand what we have to go through. Okay. So, I feel like he would be the one that would best work with me. Awesome. I love that. Nathan, from our discussion today, I feel like we are both very like-minded and uh, <laughs> I would, I would definitely, if like, if we were in the training program together, I would definitely want to like do a trial run with you. I think that we would, I think that we would pilot really well together. Um, oh, absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll say, I'll go ahead and ask you the question then. Yeah. If it wasn't just for me doing the training or whatnot, is there someone in your life that you would be like, okay, I'll do it, but this has to be the person. The person that comes to mind the most for me is my, my best friend, Ryan. Um, okay. who is uh, sometimes my co-host on this show. We, he's like my go-to co-host for when we cover Marvel shows. So, so far we've done yeah, uh, yeah. WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. He and I went to high school together. We've been, we've been friends for a very long time. And we both like, we both just think robots are awesome and, and dinosaurs are awesome. Um, and I, th- I just think we would both like be really excited about the idea of, of, of being piloting one of these big, cool mechs. Um, so he, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'd say like, given that he, we know a lot of each other's good and bad history and like, we've been through a lot of stuff together. He's my easiest choice for sure. But I, I like that it's Dang. built into this world. Like we discussed that, like you could, you could meet somebody and be like, oh yeah, we totally click. We would be great pilots together. Um, I just, I just really want to, want to sh- like swing a big robot sword and shoot plasma guns from my wrists. I want. I, I want to grab the, the Titanic 2 and use that uh, as a bat, all right? Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I am a bit of, maybe a bit controversial, but I'm going to give Dinosaurs a plus one in this just, be- okay. just because it does something wild with the concept of dinosaurs. It just introduces this whole idea that dinosaurs, which as, as, as a f- whole entire field of science, paleontology, we only speculate what we know about. We only can guess things about dinosaurs. But this movie is like, no, 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 here's what dinosaurs were. Here's why they died. Now they're back, but they're evolved and they want to kill us. And I, I just I just think that's such a fun, crazy, ridiculous angle. Um, so I'm going to give them a plus one personally. Well, uh, but no, I accept, absolutely. I, I mean, it's one of those neutral. I was going to say I would have given them a plus one if they had one. <laughs> mm, good point. Good point. Yeah. Well, dinosaurs like they, are they survivors have it, uh, in, in, in some ways. Su- 
they're they're scavengers more than anything else. They know like when when the you know when the when the rubber hits the dirt, they got they know how to you know come out of it alive. You know what I'm trying to get at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm horrible with metaphors. Well, so so okay, so did it? So Jurassic Park implies that uh, not implies it explicitly states that dinosaurs evolved into birds. This movie, I don't. It, do, would you say this movie is contradicting that theory, or are they saying some of them evolved into birds in order to adapt, or is this movie positing that yes, dinosaurs evolved into birds? Now birds are whatever they are, but in in Pacific Rim three or maybe Pacific Rim four, we're gonna have these bird kaiju's coming coming through a sky portal. If I see birds coming from a sky portal, like massive birds, I'm running. I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's one. Of, I I feel like I, I feel like in this movie, like kaiju's are their own little thing. I don't yeah. think they go along with like the legit scientist thing because okay. otherwise, it because it, otherwise, if the kaiju's were based on real life dinosaurs, those birds would be like twenty feet tall yeah. and like destroying the Empire State Building, like first week first chance it gets okay yeah just a herd of gigantic <laughs> emus stomping through <laughs> times square it would be yeah. absolutely terrifying get 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 on top of the you know get on top of the empire state building you got a giant 20 foot pigeon that just drops the biggest load oh on my the, gosh the city. I, I don't want to live in that world i don't want giant birds i'm sorry i, t- <laughs> I, I think w- you and me are in the same boat <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd rather have giant kaiju coming from the ocean than giant birds flying around there you go. Sorry, you bird, go. sorry, bird fans. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry, ostriches. <laughs> okay, Nathan, I have got two bonus questions before we wrap up today. Go for it. My first bonus question is, if we were to replace any two actors uh, in this movie, or I like to add this caveat, we can, we can add brand new characters if you really want to. But we want to replace two actors with uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito. How <laughs> how would that improve Pacific Rim, and what would be different? Well, I mean, come on, the, the, those two would be the main two characters. That'd be Charlie and and Rinko. Like, come mm. on, you can't tell me like the the combination of those two trying to link up and the banter those two would have with each other, trying to like pilot a Jaeger, would not be entertaining more than anything else. Perfection, perfection. That's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the best answer because because you want to see that I want to see them together. I don't want them to I don't want like one of them to be a kaiju, one of them to be a Jaeger pilot or something like I do want to see them piloting a Jaeger together. So, yeah, let's let's swap them out for the two main characters. Um, like the uh, the only other ones I'd see them like working together would be the scientists. But I love those two and how they play those roles. So I can't replace them. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like I it's nitpicky. I think what's his name? Charlie Hunnam. I think he's fine. He he's a good action star. Uh, he's oh, very yeah. good looking. But like, I don't know. This character I think would be better served by like you need like a Pedro Pascal for this for this character, right? You need somebody that like I don't know that I don't know exactly what it is that that's missing or exactly what it is that I want. But I was thinking of like if Pedro Pascal played this guy, but alternatively, if Whoopi Goldberg plays this guy, I'm, I'm here for it. And, and as long as Danny DeVito is playing Maka. Ah, oh, there we go. That's, that's even better than I was anticipating. I was thinking the other way around, but you know what? That's even perfect. Um, and I was going to say like, as good as Pedro Pascal would be, you also got to realize this is 2013. This was mm-hmm. the height of Santa Sons of Anarchy. So the fact oh, that they it? had him for, yeah, I think, I believe so. So the fact that they had, 
you know, him being a part of this was more or less just, you know, hey, standard role. And like the way that the character was written, you could probably have gotten 20 other different actors to play it, and it still would have been a good movie. But that's the thing. Like, that's the thing is that's what it is. It's that you could there's 20 other people that could play this character, which and again, I, I don't want to alienate Sons of Anarchy fans. I've never seen the show. Charlie Hunnam might be great. Neither have I. Uh, he might he might be great. He was good in this movie. It's just I wanted yeah. a little. Maybe I wanted the script to give him a little more. Maybe I wanted the character to be. That, that's more probably written. what it was more than anything yeah. else. Because it's one of those. I feel like at the very least, when it comes to a lot of these movies, at, at least the way that Charlie played this character, you could have like mentally put yourself in this character. You could have mm. like tried to put your own face with this character and be like, like investing yourself more than anything else. Mm. But Charlie Day like completes the puzzle, right? He. He adds this yeah. other layer to it that's like, oh, yeah, this is the cilantro. <laughs> just that little bit. Well, 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 I mean, any sort of society is always interesting when you have a crackhead to the side that's making weird quips. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, speaking of cilantro and food, this is a section of the podcast that we call What's Your Snack? Nathan, what's your snack? Is there a favorite go-to movie snack that you have when you go to a movie theater and while you since we have not been able to do that for the past year, do you ha, do you recreate that movie snack at home? Do you have a different movie snack at home? Um, and what snack did you have during Pacific Rim? If you had a snack. OK. OK. Um, so when I go to the movies, I usually go with either one of two things. I either go with obviously the popcorn, get a little extra butter with it, but not too much. I don't want to be just drinking butter the entire time. <laughs> um Or I get uh, snow caps because I love like the little chocolate with the little beads on it. Yeah, yeah I, snow I just, caps. Yes, I, um, I do not recreate that home. When I was watching this movie, I think I was eating a sub because it was about lunchtime when I was doing it. Because because the, the local theater that I have when it was running movies, it was a it was like a dinner in a movie place. Mm. So it's like um, you could order like uh, what was it? One time I went there, I ordered like cheese curds, something like that. Like I love the, the concept of like having a good meal and just watching a good movie. It's kind of like the, mm. the classic 50s, like, you know, the TV dinner concept just a lot 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 more elegant (laughs) yeah uh yeah yeah that's something that's something i've been missing a lot during the pandemic is like alamo draft house and and places like that um i i do tend to uh, i watch a lot of movies and i do tend to like try to multitask and and plan a lot of meals around them and for this one i uh, had a big burger that i made and it was there we go yeah it felt it felt right because you know this is there was the kaiju sinking their teeth into into things, and and so I don't know. Having a big old juicy burger was just, felt like the right what, move. What'd you top with it? Did you add some like you know cheese, lettuce, tomato, any condiments or anything like that? So I am uh, I am not sponsored by HelloFresh. I would love to be. So HelloFresh, if you're listening, you can uh, hit me up in my DMs. But uh, I am I am subscribed to, to HelloFresh because I am not a good cook. But HelloFresh is like the <laughs> Lego kits of of, of meals. Oh, and, really? Okay. Um, it just yeah, it just take it just takes so much of the guesswork out of it and everything. It just makes it so much so much simpler. And so I've been okay. I've been making those, and they just they like because well, I don't have the I don't have the creative mind for cooking. Like I don't have a chef's artistic mind where I can be shopping and think like, this is what I want to make later. Let me get these ingredients. So I just made the burger with what they wanted on it, which was like, uh, onions and this spicy sauce made with like sriracha. And, um, and it was just, it was fantastic. So nice, nice. Yeah, definitely. I got, I got to look into HelloFresh cause it sounds like it's good. Yeah. 
Highly recommend it. Highly recommend uh, HelloFresh sponsors this podcast. Or uh, send, maybe 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 you send me some free samples and I'll continue promoting you. Um, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, what else? So that is that was Pacific Rim 2013. Um, mm-hmm. Nathan, do you have any final thoughts? I know that I've probably I've probably asked that multiple times already, but. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, it was so I have actually a fun little story, a little bit of a history of Pacific Rim. Please, I actually yeah. saw this movie. I actually saw this movie. I think it was like the Sunday or Monday before it was supposed to come out in theaters. There was a there was like a little Fourth of July event that I was at and I got like an advanced screening ticket. So I got to see this movie before it actually premiered. Now, awesome. back in the day, I, I remember that I enjoyed it. But for me, like back then, Again, I was younger. I was a lot more naive. I didn't pick up with the story as well. But mm. like sitting down now and actually getting a chance to see it and watch it again and like picking up all this stuff, I, I the story is a lot stronger than I remembered. Um, the action was a lot better than I remembered. Not saying that it was bad in the first place, but like I, I had this image of it and yet it still blew my expectations of what I remembered back in that theater or whatnot. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the home theater experience or whatnot. But um, no, it's one of those like, you know, seeing it then and then seeing it now or whatnot, like it, it made me realize that even if I think I know, like with any sort of movie experience, even if you think you know what's going to happen, you can still be surprised. You can still be blown Mm. away. And Pacific Rim did a great job with doing that kind of thing, you know, like making it like a standard, like monster movie beat em up. But at the same time, like still including these incredible, like elements of like characters and development and little cool little gadgets and stuff to really elevate it above on its own little level. Well said. Very well said. I highly recommend this movie. If you've listened all this way, uh, obviously you don't mind spoilers, but um, if you've listened all this way and you have not seen Pacific Rim yet, uh, but you just wanted to hear our review of it, I highly recommend it. Nathan highly recommends it. It is, if if you're listening to this podcast, you probably like movies where big giant robots punch big giant dinosaurs in the face. And we get a lot of that in this movie. <laughs> so it's a, I mean, it's a no-brainer. That, I mean, if we want to be absolutely specific, this movie is literally the title of your show, Robots versus Dinosaurs. It sure is. There hasn't been a more literal one since, uh, what did I do? Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. That's <laughs> yeah, basically that that's, that's about it. So, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm definitely planning to do even more. Maybe, uh, Nathan will talk about Pacific Rim two uprising at some point. I'm excited for you to see it and I want to hear what you think about it. So maybe we'll plan a future episode where we, where we pick apart Pacific Rim two. Absolutely. No, I'm totally down for it. I'm always happy to come back on the podcast and talk about more Pacific Rim because why not? (laughs) Awesome. It was great having you on. Can you tell the listeners, um, we talked about this at the top, but just tell them again where they can find you, uh, where they can interact with you online and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said before, I'm the host of the Postmodern Art Podcast. Um, if you love art and love the one, know more about the artist behind it, uh, we are available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, most podcast platforms. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at PostModArtPod for future updates and guest announcements. Um, I am I will say it here. I am getting the Instagram together. I have debated about it long enough, but I am getting it built up. It's probably going to have the same handle, at PostModArtPod. Okay. So go there. Figure that out. Um and also, if you want, if you love what I do and you want to support me, I have merch. Uh, was it Creator Spring? Uh, I, I'll give uh, links. I'll give Louie the link and help. It, yeah. Links will be in the <laughs> notes. There you go. <laughs> awesome. 
Very cool. Uh, so thank you. Thanks again, Nathan, uh, listeners, check out Nathan online, check out postmodern art podcast, uh, make sure you rate review and subscribe to that and also rate review and subscribe to robots versus dinosaurs and every other show on the apocalypse podcast network. Uh, that is all that I have and I am notoriously bad at saying goodbye. So, um, Nathan say goodbye to the listeners, please. Well, I'll do it the same way that I end all the the well actually before I do that, I mm. have one last thing I want to say. Okay. Um Louie, like I said, before I before I sit down for a podcast, I like to listen back on a podcast. And even then, whenever I was trying to be a part of the Apocalypse Podcast Network, I wanted to listen to the other podcasts to kind of get an idea of what I'm getting myself into. And I love how your podcast, it's not just, you know, a fanfare of it, but you the way you like deconstruct stuff and the way that you like go past like the 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 exterior of whether a robot or a dinosaur and stuff. Like it's great the the guests you bring on and how how much time and effort you put into this thing i'd love to see this thing grow so much more so i i'm definitely rooting for you for this point forward with this podcast and i i hope you know you go almost like the the jager did jager did and i hope you go to the moon and then some <laughs> <laughs> i'm really flattered thanks a lot yeah this we strive to be uh both a comedy and philosophy podcast <laughs> i try to go. like i really like digging into the crazy ideas that that these big monster movies introduce and use sci-fi as a as a as a cover as a veil to talk about because sometimes they are very interesting things to talk about so yeah i oh, do absolutely. i do try to aim to make this podcast a little bit of both so i really uh, i love hearing that it's it's that you're receiving it that way that yeah yeah absolutely and i want to say especially now that i'm a part of this podcast network which i'm forever grateful of all the people involved especially joanna thank you for letting me be a part of this if you're one of the members that's part of if you're one of the members that's going to be part of this i am so excited to see what we can bring to the table what you can bring to the table and how we can help each other out in the future so when it comes to saying goodbye i'll do the same way that i'll say goodbye on my podcast for the followers at home hasta luego mi amigos hasta luego mi amigos Friendship wins! Are you an admirer of art? Do you want to know the creators of the art you love today? Then you should listen to the Postmodern Art Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to giving artists who are wowing the world over the platform they deserve. Sit down with your favorite artists as they discuss their passion. I couldn't have lived without art, I don't think. It's like my whole life. Hardships. My payment before was like around $50 a week. What? Heartfelt moments. I recently actually got a message about some of my drawings and somebody was saying, oh, my kid really, really appreciated those. And they've been drawing ever since she started doing those things. And that, that, that makes me feel really good. And some fun in between. You gotta make me tear up already. Gotta uh, cry. <laughs> <laughs> the Postmodern Art Podcast. New episodes every Thursday on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most podcast platforms.